the 38th Psalm, starting in verse number one. The psalmist says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head, and as in heavy burden they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled, I am bound down greatly, I go mourning all the day. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore, broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand far off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things, and imagine deceits all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not. And I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was a man that heareth not, in whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God, for I said, hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me when my foot slippeth. They magnify themselves against me, for I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. But my enemies are lively, and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, I Again, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to open your word. Lord, we are presented with a, a portion of your scripture that is set forth to cause the reader to search his heart and see if there be any wicked way. Lord, I pray that this evening that from heaven above you pour out your spirit upon us. As a miner sifts through a creek bed, may you sift through the hearts of those who are here, search through our hearts, and make our sin ever before us. Lord, may we, in this moment, Lord, as we work through this and hear the 
agonizing of the psalmist. May we agonize in the same manner over our sin. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. We've often said as we go through the Psalms that there are many different types of Psalms. There are Psalms of joy, as Psalms 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. There's imprecatory Psalms, like Psalms number 7 or Psalm number 9, where David prays for God to pour out His judgment upon them. There are Psalms of wisdom, like Psalm number 1, where the psalmist is setting wisdom before us. There's Psalms, like Psalms 27, where the Lord is speaking, and the psalmist is speaking about how God is, has magnificently guided him through facing adversity. Psalms 38, the psalmist says here in the superscription that everything that he has put before you is as a psalm of remembrance. A psalm of remembrance. Now it's weird to say that I... At times, I guess, in the first thought that I thoroughly enjoy this psalm and love this psalm. But I love this psalm because it reminds me of the true condition and the agony that I once felt in sin. The reality of my condition. And it also is the reminder of to all of us to be careful in which we step because we understand that this psalm was written by a saved man who slipped in sin. I think we all understand that sickness and suffering is a part of life. But we also understand, as we've been looking in Sunday school over the last couple of weeks, that just because you experience sickness and suffering, it doesn't mean that the sickness and suffering you're experiencing is the response of God's judgment upon your life. But yet, we are brought to the understanding that there are times as the result of our personal sin, Scripture makes it clear that our direct rebellion against God can cause consequences in our life that is almost too much to bear. When you look in the life of King Uzzah, or King Uzziah, the Bible says in Chronicles that King Uzziah was a man who was marvelously helped by God, but when he became strong, he was lifted up in his pride. As he was lifted up in his pride, he entered into the Holy of Holies where only the priest was allowed to go. And yet this magnificent man who was marvelously helped by God in many different areas of life was struck with leprosy and it was uncurable. And he died in that loathsome condition. Even more, the Old Testament example, but even more in the New Testament, just several weeks ago when we took the Lord's Supper, we spoke about this. When you read 2 Corinthians, we're reminded of the reality that, remember what he says when those people who were participating in the Lord's Supper with sin in their life, he said, and for this reason, 
Many are sick among you, and even there are many that sleep. Psalms 38 is the reminder, it is the psalm of remembrance David has pinned down in his life so that he will never forget the horrific consequences of sin. And even more, the consequences of unrepented sin. In verses, in these 22 verses, the psalmist verse after verse begins to cry out in this season of affliction and in the heart of brokenness of a man who, who in sin brought the discipline of God upon himself. Recognize this first and foremost. Sin always has a consequence. It does. God will always judge sin. Even in the life of the believer. I mean, even though we find safety in the fact that Christ died for our sins, we may escape the the finality of the punishment of sin in our lives, but we, even as a Christian, will not escape the heavy hand of the Lord for those who choose to live in sin. Also, we see here in this psalm, the most agonizing thing that the psalmist experienced when he chose to live his life of sin was not the affliction from the Lord, but it was separation from the Lord. It wasn't the separation from the Lord in the aspect of relationship, but it was in the aspect of fellowship. But as Scripture tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. God knows how to get his children's attention. A testimony given here to us in this text. Notice again in verse number one. O Lord, Jehovah, self-existent one. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. I want you to understand two quick things about verse number one. David does not say, Lord, I don't deserve this. He doesn't say, oh, Lord, I I don't deserve this rebuking. Oh, Lord, you shouldn't rebuke me. Oh, Lord, you shouldn't chasten me. David knows the truth of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. It is a reality. David does not cry, oh, Lord, do not rebuke me. Do not scourge me. David understands this punishment, this experience is the consequence of his sin, not a failure of God taking care of his children. But instead says, oh, Lord, please don't rebuke me in your wrath. Oh, Lord, please do not rebuke me in your hot displeasure, but do it in mercy, but do it in gentleness. Because why? Because he goes on to say here, there's no soundness in my flesh, for thine arrows stick fast in me. God's arrows always hit their mark. 
Let an arrow stick fast in me. And your hand is pressing me sore. There is no rest in my bones. But notice what he says here in verse 3. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones. Because of what? Because of my sin. David says all that I'm experiencing in my life is not because of Bathsheba's sin. It's not because of Abigail's sin. It's not because of Absalom's sin. Everything that's unfolding in my life is because of my sin. It is my sin that brought this judgment upon me. We do well getting caught up in the stir of other people's sin. We do well lifting up prayer requests on Wednesday nights about the sinfulness of those who lead this nation. We do well to lift up the sinfulness of those who we care about. But oftentimes, the great struggle in the believer's life is to declare the iniquity that exists within them. He says, because of my sin. Because of my sin. It's because of what David did. He could see the guiltiness of the man who took the little lamb. Remember that with Nathan? He could see the guiltiness of the one who took the little lamb, but he could not see his own guilt. I fear the condition is that too much is that we have lost sight of the sinfulness of our own sin. The sinfulness of the sin that is in us. And let this be said, I guess, and the reality of it all is that there is coming a day where God will get our attention about our sin, our sin, our unrepented sin. It will. We spend many times and many hours thinking about the judgment that should come upon the people who are in death row, the sin of the nation, the sin of the neighbor. But we have spent little time thinking about how God will deal with our sin. Whether you're lost or whether you're saved, there's the day coming in which judgment is put before us. But here, look at the words in verse number four. I believe this is where when we get the right view of sin, when we get the right view of our sin, you know, it's still true today that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and all are still sinners. But look at what he says here in verse 4. This is when you get a proper view of sin. For mine iniquities are gone over my head as in heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. That is the reality of sin. That is the weightiness of sin. That is the burden of sin. It is too much for any of us to bear. The more we look at the sinfulness in our lives in contrast to who God is, the more we will be so weighted down that we'll say that our sinfulness is gone over my head. It's, it's gone over my head as a heavy burden and it's simply too heavy for me 
It was heavy. It rested upon him. It had gone over his head. A wanted image of someone trying to carry the heavy burden. I love the imagery that Bunyan painted in that book, Pilgrim's Progress, as Christian had turned the corner and began to go up the hill. And there, when he caught glimpse of the cross, the burden of sin, the weight of sin, rolled off of his back and down the hill into a tomb. <laughs> That's exactly how it was. Sin was a heavy burden upon us until Christ took the penalty of sin and took captivity captive. The thing that captive, uh, held us captive, he took captive. Oh, happy day, I would say, oh, happy day that Jesus took our sins away. But even after the Lord takes our sins away, there is this reality that believers at times are persuaded to follow Satan and find themselves back in the burden of sin. David says, how did I ever allow myself to get back here? How did I ever allow Satan to persuade me? David didn't just wake up one day and say, today is the day that I'm going to sin and have God's judgment pour out upon me. David didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what? Today is the day that I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. Really, I guess when you look at the, and summarize Psalms 38, Psalms 32, and you read the account of David's sin with Bathsheba, it started with the wrong look. And listen, there's times that we will see things even in society today that isn't good for our hearts, it isn't good for our minds, and it isn't good for our walk with the Lord. It was bad enough that David seen it, but, but the wrong look became even more problematic because when David seen it, he didn't turn away. He allowed it to be a long look. He continued to gaze upon that situation. And even more, the more he gazed upon it, the more he wanted it for himself. And then as he looked upon it, he was hooked upon it. Then he ended up taking it. Then he became a crook of Psalms 38 is to say that this is David's booking for his sin. This is the reality of it all. Now that he has seen the, the fullness of this situation, this situation, this decision that he made with Bathsheba has caused an infection in his life that has completely took over his spiritual walk with the Lord. Even more, sin didn't just affect, uh, affect him spiritually. As you go on, you'll see that it affected him physically. Verse 5, my wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. This sin in his life had produced a, a foul odor. But every time David recognizes the foul odor that it has produced in his life. Every time David surveys the wreckage in his life in Psalms number 38, he always says, the, the, the deeper he gets into the wreckage, he says, this is my fault. That's what he says in verse 5. 
for mine iniquities, or for my wounds stink and are corrupt. Why? Because of my foolishness. That's exactly what sin does in your life. Not only does it produce a foul odor to other believers, but it produces a foul odor before God. It corrupts. And matter of fact, in the moving of the Spirit and how He puts it to us here, it kind of gives you this idea that when sin, when you are infected with sin in your life, and you do not treat it immediately and repent of it, just as you have an infection in your body that is untreated by antibiotics, it will begin to corrupt the entirety of the body. Even more, he says in verse number 6, I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly, I go mourning all the day. Hear me, God is gracious, God is kind, God is loving. God is merciful. But this does not change the reality that we are forced to live with the regret of our sins. It doesn't change the reality that we get to live with the despair of the decisions that we made that brought harm to our family, that brought harm to the cause of Christ, that brought harm to even our own personal walk. David was a man who was broken because he failed the Lord, and when he failed the Lord and made the decisions for his sin, it corrupted his entire family as a whole. Even more, he mourned how this sin harmed his family. He said, all the day long, I go mourning. I can feel the effects of this loathsome disease. Verse 7, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. You see that? This is what sin has done to David. Sin. 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 Where's the giant slayer now? Where's this great man, this great warrior who killed the bear? Where's this great warrior who, who killed the lion? How small of three letters is this word, sin, but yet the reality how much this little word can cause the greatest of warriors to crumble. It brought him to nothing altogether. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble in verse 8. I am sore. And I am so I'm feeble and sore broken. I have roared by the reason of disquietness of my heart. Sin breaks the internal, sin breaks the external. He said, This reality, this sin in my life, he said, I have I have lacked peace since I've had it in my life. I have roared by the reason of disquietness of my heart. You know, the reality is, is that even though David had sinned with Bathsheba, David, in his own wicked way, tried to justify and make right his sin. This is a, this is a scary reality in the life of believers. When we sin and we know it's sin, 
and we know we've done wrong against God. We set out to make our sin right, but we don't want to give up our sin. And David, what did he do? Not only did he take Bathsheba, but he heard that she was pregnant. So he wanted to make it right before people's eyes. So he set out to have Uriah killed, and then he took her. Look, everything looks good now. Nobody will never know what I did. What about the messenger that went and saw her? What about the Lord? How foolish we are to think at times that in our sins that people don't know what we're doing. Even more how foolish it is to to think that we could actually have peace as we try to cover up the sinfulness of our sin. He said, there is no disquietness of my heart. There, there's no peace. There's been no peace since I've sinned. Matter of fact, the reality is, is that David sought to have peace in his life after he sinned, but Scripture makes it clear the only way that David could find peace in his sin was to distance himself from God. He, I have roared. I have roared. My, for the, my loins are filled with a loathsome disease and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore and broken. I have roared by the reason of the disquietness of my heart that word roared means to it means his heart was snarling all the day long his heart was making noise it was groaning it was grunting it was grieved all the day long verse number nine he said lord all my desire is before thee and my groaning is not hid from me now not to get into this, but there are three different terms that are used by um, David here in this text. We see in verse number one, the, David uses the term uh, Lord, which is Jehovah. This is the self-existent one. This is the almighty creator of heaven and earth. When you get to verse number nine, David uses the word here, Lord. Notice in verse number one, it's capital L-O-R-D. But when you get to verse number nine, it's just capital L and then O-R-D. David has transitioned in the name in which he is speaking to the Lord. In verse number one, he's using Jehovah, but in verse number nine, he's using the word Adonai. Adonai is the name that which is used as for the Lord in the manner of he is the judge of all men. So when David says here, Lord, he's saying judge, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee my heart panteth my strength faileth me as for the light of mine eyes it is also gone from me my lovers and my friends stand aloof he said my my lovers and my friends my spouse and my ones who were close to me they're now afar off even my kinsmen meaning my family has stood away from me they also that seek my life lay snares for me 
And they that seek my hurt speak mischievous, mischievous things uh, uh, and, the, and imagine deceits all the day long. But I as a deaf man heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and whose mouth are no reproofs. Hear me. Because of David's sin, it not only began to affect him, it affected his family, his kinsmen. It affected his relationship with his lovers. He said his wife does, you know. But it not only affected that, but it affected his relationship with those who he worshipped with. His friends avoided him. Mine enemies have begun. And even worse in this situation, when he fell, when he fell in sin, he said, mine enemies have begun to speak up. Where everyone else who used to be close to me, my wife and my friends and those who I worship with, where they used to be close to me, now they are all far off from me because of my sin. And now the only voices I hear are the voices of mine enemies. They speak aloud. And by the way, that's exactly what Satan wants you to think. This is exactly once uh, David says, really, in this situation, when he speaks about his enemies, if you go and reference Psalms 32, both Psalms 32 and Psalms 38 are believed to be penned after the great sin with Bathsheba. If you take time to read Psalms 32, David can really begin to pour out his heart. And he says, basically, I can hear what my enemies have to say. I can hear my enemies saying that this is now my end. I can hear them saying that I'll never be the same. You'll never have that walk with the Lord again. You'll never be restored. You'll never have that fire you once had. You'll never have the fellowship you once had. You'll never pin psalms like you used to. You'll never experience the relationship that you used to experience when you was out there keeping those sheep. You'll never have your power again to slay giants, David. You'll be lucky to come back to the Lord, but you'll never be the same. Listen, that is Satan's message to the life of a believer who's fallen into sin. You'll never be the same. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. He whispers, don't go back. Don't go back. You're once a failure, always a failure. But look what David says. Verse 13, but I as a deaf man heard not. I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was a man that heareth not, in whose mouths are no reproofs. He said, I, Lord, I heard what they said, but I opened not my mouth. Lord, I, 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 even as they began to chant, he said, I pretended to be a deaf man. And, a, and I not only did I pretend to be a deaf man, but a dumb man. I didn't listen to them. I didn't speak about what they said. I confessed my sin to you and waited for you, Lord, even while my enemies praised my failure. But listen, what is happening here? What is, what is happening here? There's a transition. David, in the first 14 verses, has stated his condition and the condition of every believer who chooses to live in sin while, loving, while, being, while belonging to the Lord. 
But in verse 18, David says, the repentant heart has come upon him. He said, for I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. Here David's verses, uh, here's David's heart, all other verses leading to this. My wounds stink. God's arrows have hit their mark. The weight of sin is too much. Mine own foolishness has brought all of this upon me. The agonizing of a strained relationship, the rejoicing of an enemy, all of this happened. And David continued, continued into this condition until he said, wait, I cannot take this anymore. Matter of fact, when you get in verse number 17, you can really see that David says, that's it. No more. He says there in the first few words of verse 17, for I am ready to halt. It's over. I'm ready to bring all this to a close. I'm ready for all of this to halt. No more of this in my life. Well, how are you going to make it right, David? You're ready for it to halt. You're ready for God to lift his chastening hand upon you. Well, what are you going to do to make this stop? He said, I will declare my iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. People sometimes, believers sometimes sin in their personal lives and they fail in their personal lives to return to the Lord. And at times when we sin, we return to the Lord, but we're much like Peter. We're, we're after Peter failed the Lord. But what does scripture say about that? After Peter failed the Lord, the Bible says that he followed the Lord still, but it was from afar off. It was afar off. His failures, his failures made him believe that he couldn't walk close to the Lord anymore. But it wasn't true. And if it wasn't true, the greatest, the greatest, what I would say the greatest restoration of all the New Testament was the day that Jesus met Peter there by the side of the Sea of Galilee. I don't know what they said there, but that meeting there, after Peter had failed the Lord, and after he'd fallen into sin, after he returned to his old life, the Lord returned there on the shores of the sea and said, Peter, you love me? It's time to feed my sheep. And what a glorious return. But this is the reality that's offered to each and every one of us who slip into sin. But Psalms 38 tells us this is what happens when you don't treat sin. When you allow sin to continue to fester. When you allow sin to continue to grow. When you allow it to continue to have place in our lives. David said, I will declare this iniquity today. I will let it be known that I am sorry for my sin. I don't pretend to know the heart of everyone here, but there may be some in this building this evening who knows that they're in sin. I don't know. Who knows that they're specific sins that the Holy Spirit is even unveiled to them. What makes 
Psalms 38 so powerful is not that God poured out judgment upon David. It is that David said, I'm going to do something about my sin. Oftentimes in our lives, we go convicted all the day long about our sin. Convicted about things that we do that we shouldn't do. Convicted about things that we watch that we shouldn't watch. Things that we say that we shouldn't say. We go convicted all the day, but we never arrive at verse 18. To the place where it's time to declare our iniquities. It's time to let everyone know that we're sorry for our sins. Even more, the, David says in Psalms 51 that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, what does he say? Thou will not despise. God will not despise a heart that is broken over their failures, a heart that is broken over their sin. David said here, I will not linger any longer in verse 18. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. This is a statement in David's life that I will no longer linger where I've been. This is what J.C. Ryle once wrote about the situation which Lot with Lot. It was confusing about Lot. In the Old Testament, if we read Genesis, we would believe that Lot was a, a wicked man. But when we get to Peter, we're confused in understanding that only the Lord knows a man's heart because he said that righteous Lot was vexed continually by the wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah. But yet we are faced with the reality that even after the angel of the Lord told Lot, it's time for you to up and get out of this place, Scripture says that he lingered. He lingered. He lingered longer. Ryle said that time does not linger. Death does not linger. Judgment does not linger. The devil does not linger. The world does not linger. And neither should the child of God linger. We are not lingering sin. We are not wait around when the Spirit picks our hearts and says like he did to lie, oh, get you out of this place. That should be the movement of our life. Flee the reality of sin. I love this thought that in First John chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all of unrighteousness. And Psalms 38 brings us to the reality that God will not overlook sin, but it also brings to the reality, what will you do with your sin? What will you do with it? What will we do this evening? What will we do tomorrow? What will we do when our hearts are pricked by the Spirit? What will we do with our sin? I love how this closes out, though. Verse 21 and verse 22. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my Salvation. What are you talking about, David? Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. 
Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. David is presenting the Lord. First, he presents him as the reason in which he is being chastised because of his sin, though. But now he presents the Lord in a new light that the Lord is the refuge of his life. Oftentimes, and I know you've probably been here or you've seen this, whether you're a school teacher, a parent, or whatever, if you've ever set a child down and corrected them, or if you set a child down and disciplined them, usually at the end of it all, the child begins to weep, and before the conversation is over, the child, all they want to do is hug their mother or father even though the same mother or father was the one that disciplined them. They are seeking from comfort from the one who disciplined them because they know that the one that disciplined them loved them. And that is what David has done here in verses 21 and 22. He said, I know I, know I was being corrected for my sin. I know I was being corrected. I know that I'm being judged and and corrected by my heavenly father. And therefore, I know also that it doesn't change the fact that he's still my refuge. Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. Be not far from me. He's calling the one who's chasing him to his side. Make haste to help me. Oh, Lord, my salvation. It presents us with the reality of what can you do with your sin? What will you do with your sin this evening? What will you do with your sin tomorrow? What will you do with your sin as the Spirit unveils it to you? Are you going to be like Achan and hide it in your tent and act like it never happened? Are you going to be like David and try to take your wrong situation and put a dress and makeup on it and try to make it pretty and make it something that in your heart of hearts, you know that it's not, it's sin. And until we grasp a hold of the sinfulness of sin, we will never feel this weight and reality that we say, as David said in verse number four, it is far over my head. I cannot bear the burden of it. I'm collapsing under the weight of my own foolishness. But in the truth, the, the grand part of this uh, Psalms is that verse, 30, or verse 18. But if we would declare our iniquities... If we can declare our iniquities, we can then in return. See, David makes right the issues of the first 17 verses in verse 18. He said, I'm going to declare my iniquities. I'm going to be sorry for my sins. See, if verse 18 wasn't there, verse 21 and verse 22 can't come. You can't seek refuge with sin in your life. You can't seek refuge when you are still wanting to live wickedly. But David said, I'll declare my iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. What he's saying, I've made these things right. Let everybody know. Let all who was around me know. I'm declaring that I failed God here. But now also let everyone know. I've announced that I failed God. But I want everyone to know now I'm seeking refuge 
in the same one that I failed. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity to be in your house and to study your word. Lord, I pray that we search our own hearts, Lord, and see, Lord, I pray that you search our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in us, Lord. May we not in our own manner search our hearts and overlook the things. Sin is sin and it's offensive towards you. Lord, I give great thanks to you for all that you've done. I thank you for your word that reproves us, that rebukes us and corrects us so that we could have a closer walk with you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.